Before I tell you what I think God has to say to us today, I'd like to say a few words of thanks um, to the Interim Pastor Nominating Committee for recommending me uh, to uh, this position and having faith in me that I can uh, accomplish what I need to accomplish here. To Lynette Sparks and her gracious efforts in transition, I knew from the beginning of my discussion with the IPNC that Lynette would be uh, ending her time here, and I took the job anyway. Uh, to John and Joey, our uh, sextons, who uh, helped me schlep my belongings up to my second floor apartment in Greece, a uh, very narrow hallway, uh, no elevator, uh, I wore the poor guys out. To the staff and members who have greeted me and worked with me so far, uh, to my family who continues to support me from afar and some of whom are joining with us in our worship today, and uh, mostly to God who still thinks I'm useful in Jesus' work here on earth. Uh, these are interesting, challenging, and I contend hopeful times. So it is important for us in them to get to our work. Reading from the Gospel lesson today, the lectionary lesson from Matthew chapter 28, these uh, familiar words, this uh, word of commissioning for us all. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading just a short section from the lesson from the Old Testament, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, we are determined to have a king so that we might be like other nations, so that our kings may fight our battles. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A significant historical shift occurred in the churches in the 50s and the 60s. Whether it was a good shift or not remains uh, still to be seen. There were some good things and some challenging things about it. I like to describe it as a move from the idea of churches having pastors to churches having leaders. And uh, I like to describe leaders in a couple of different ways, and this is a, a, little, uh, a little vision that you can, you can keep in your mind. This is my artwork, so it's not very great. Nobody ever wants me to lead the art class. But this is leaders, and you might see that it's a big L. So there was a shift from the idea of pastors to 
pastors being leaders in the congregations. I like to call it the CEOization of people like me. One of the challenges, and there are many challenges and many good things that occurred, but, but one of the challenges that occurred with this emphasis on big L leaders, it tends to fuel what I call transition anxiety. Yes, we mourn beloved big L leaders when they leave congregations. Third Presbyterian Church is living in that reality right now, and it's okay. You don't have to feel bad about mourning leaders who've left in my presence. It's a part of what I do. I understand that. The other thing that you're really beginning to worry about already is the new big L leader who came in, in your mind, is really unproven yet. And maybe some of you are already thinking that he's a little bit questionable. We'll see how that works out over time. Another challenge that it presents when we focus on the big L leaders is that it downplays the value of the little L leaders and servants who are still here in the life of this congregation. And so today, I want to lift up these leaders as well as the big L leaders who do remain associated here with Third Presbyterian Church. I want to focus and celebrate and remind you about how many of those leaders remain heavily involved and invested in the life of this congregation. So keep that in mind. Whenever I say big L leaders and little L leaders, remember my little poor bit of artwork. Leadership transitions go back a long way in humanity, basically all the way back to the beginning. And the story from the Hebrews' time of transition is important for us. God's people, the Hebrews, the people of Israel, were settling into a new home. Remember, they had come out of Egypt following very much untested leadership in Moses and Aaron. They'd gone through the desert. They'd come to Canaan. They had gone into Canaan under Joshua and had established uh, a nation, an existence in that place. And it seemed like, it seemed like the old tribal clan-based system was serving wellish. It wasn't great, but it was okay. Remember the tribes, the 12 tribes, each of them had their own territory and their own style and form of leadership. Was it great? Did they fight with each other? Yeah, they did, but it was, but it was okay. So another thing that goes back a long way is the fact that people, when they're living in a particular system, in a particular way, regularly demand system upgrades, not only in computers, not only in technology, but in the way we organize ourselves. So the people of Israel were demanding a system upgrade. We are determined to have a king. 
so that we may be like other nations and that our kings may fight our battles for us. I find that last phrase quite interesting. Samuel, who had been serving for a long time as the priest of the people, kind of the de facto leader of the tribes, he gave them a severe, severe warning. You will be sorry. Even the best human leader is suspect. He listed a whole bunch of things already in the passages that we read, and, and here are a few more verses from that chapter. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. You would think that the people would have been convinced by that argument, but indeed, they were not. Samuel says, and you already have the perfect leader, all caps leader, and that would be God. Why do you want to substitute a human in that position? The warning fails. God in this case, who is the offended one, relents. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. I imagine God rather shaking the divine head, saying, this isn't going to go well. However, let them have what they want. Saul is identified and anointed and gets started being a pretty terrible king over the people of Israel. And Israel's long-term mixed experience with kings begins. So why is this important for today? My application for today is that the Hebrews over-focus on big L leadership. Part of what they wanted to do was to transfer responsibility to someone else. Because leadership is not easy. And in the church, leadership is always seen in a servant kind of capacity. And if you're a leader, and if you are called to serve others, there are challenges. And, and the fact that you have to step up and, and do your job on a regular basis it's easier to want to transfer that responsibility, isn't it? Just to drop back 10 yards and punt if you can get away with it. Because leaders, big L leaders, will fix everything, right? That's the fight our battles part. Now, they meant wars with other folks, but I think they also meant the kind of little human battles that we have along the way that it would really be better if we kind of focused on solving those problems ourselves instead of relying on others to do so. Any applications for today's life? 
Saul, like other big L leaders, when they adapt and adopt this mentality, they set themselves up for failure, and the people participate in that. And it doesn't take Saul a long time to oblige, and he fails. Churches, let's say like Third Presbyterian Church in Rochester, New York. Churches are regularly tempted to do the same. It goes back to that old CEOization of pastors, right? And other leaders, too, because pastors aren't the only big L leaders around a church like this. We're kind of tempted to do the same. My job in this interim capacity is to help you focus not on me or on Peter or on Ernest or on anyone else in those big L leadership positions, but rather to focus on little L leadership. I serve a role and a function, and I am happy to do my job. I love to do my job. You will find that out very, very quickly. And one of my jobs is to point to and to recognize and to have you recognize the fact that there are so many little L leaders around the congregation who are every bit as important and sometimes way more important than I am. I am a temporary leader. What that means we don't know yet. I expect to be here a year or so. Who knows how much longer than that? Your future, and you can be happy about this, is not dependent on me. I come and I go. I do my job. I do it well. Your past, your present, and your future depends on the leadership that is already here. You will you desire and you will receive a new person who will stand in my place in the months to come. And you deserve that. In the meantime, I want us to lift up, to celebrate, to pray for, and to be the little L leaders that really are going to make this church what God wants it to be. I will spend time probing your history and listening to your story and asking you questions. It's my job. That's why God gave me big ears and a big nose. I use them in the work that I do. And I encourage you to be patient, even as you've already been patient, and to trust the process. You will see my shirts uh, from time to time that simply say, trust the process. And you will also learn that I'm a process guy. You will help me and the other leaders who are in place here determine and define the future of Third Presbyterian Church with the help of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I want to remind you, this is your homework. I like to give you homework. Your, your homework is really just remembering. Remembering how many leaders remain here in the life of Third Presbyterian Church. People who are anxiously passionate 
I like that juxtaposition of words, anxiously passionate about the work that we do. We remember and we celebrate the reality of the present time. Some things haven't changed at all. God is still on the throne. Our Lord Jesus Christ is still the head of the church. The Holy Spirit waits to provide every resource, every resource. Did you get that, Rachel? Every resource that we need to accomplish the work that God sets before us to do. We are living through unprecedented, tough, trying times. We understand that. The church has always understood that. And we are going to go after what we need to go after to get the job done in this time and in this place. It is no time to abandon ship, but rather to be all in. To join the ranks of Big L and Little L leaders as we need them around here in the life of this church. And one thing that I can assure you, a promise that's really, really easy for me to make, is that I will do everything in my power to make your faith in me worthwhile, rewarding, and as much fun as we're allowed to have in a Presbyterian church. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in life and every day. Amen.